We've talked to six and seven figure sellers on Amazon. Today, find out how that kind of money can be generated on a different platform, Etsy. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers podcast. My name is Bradley Sutton. I'm your host, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. And today on the show, we've got somebody who is not selling, we're not having him on here for Amazon or the typical thing that we're doing. We have somebody who is absolutely crushing it and knows a lot of people who are crushing it on Etsy uh, of all places. So Jay, Jay, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Going well, man. How are you? Doing delightful. Doing delightful. Where are you located, actually? Uh, I'm in uh, Bowenville, which is uh, pretty much Toronto suburbia. I'm about 45 to 50 minutes east of downtown Toronto. Okay. Okay, cool. So it's probably a little bit cold there already, right? Yeah, it sucks, man. Uh, I was just in California, as, as I think you guys are aware, uh, last like 10 days, got back Thursday night and yeah, left when it was grass was green and came back to snow on the ground. So yeah, it's, it was 85 degrees here yesterday. We had like a big heat wave here. It's kind of crazy. Now let's get down to business. Where are you from that area originally? Are you from Canada? Uh, I am from Canada. I'm originally born and raised in South Shore, suburbia of Montreal. Uh, been in Ontario now near Toronto for the last 25 years or so. Okay. And what was your educational background? Like, did you study business or, or what did you think you were going to be when you started university? Uh, well, actually, come, you know, full transparency, I'm a college dropout. Um, Perfect. I was starting, I, I was a kid that, you know, wanted to play outside all the time. And if I was stuck inside on a rainy day or whatever it was, my parents would just give me like a box of the, you know, 200 Crayola crayons and a stack of printer paper and, or a typewriter paper at the time. And just said, have at her. And I would be the kid sitting there for hours drawing. So, um, I grew up drawing, uh, in high school, got into a little bit of uh, graffiti and then airbrushing and decided that's kind of where I wanted to go with the rest of my life. Not sure how to make money at anything like that that said, I ended up with a partial scholarship opportunity to Waterloo University, which is a pretty good university out here for uh, chartered accounting. But I knew I'd be bored out of my mind if I ended up going that route. Accounting, you said? Yeah. Oh, so sounds like a thrill a minute. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I would have been shooting pencils into the ceiling all day, I'm sure, if not into my own head. Um, so I ended up... Uh, after high school, working in a steel factory for two years until I figured out what the heck I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And uh, I mean, I don't think at 17 or whatever, you're ready to make those kinds of choices. But uh, I ended up going to a local college here for graphic design. I ended up not wanting to do accounting at all. So after high school, not really sure what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I ended up, uh, I mean, I think 17 years old is way too early to be figuring out you know, that sort of life decision. So I ended up uh, working in a steel plant for two years and then uh, figuring out that graphic design was sort of where I wanted to be or needed to be. Uh, at the time, it, I didn't even know it was a possible um, vocation or, or occupation type thing. So I ended up uh, applying to a few colleges based on a, a, a friend's dad who said, this is something you might be into because you can actually make money at it as opposed to just drawing. So I applied to a few art colleges. One of note would be like Sheridan, where a lot of people go for animation and end up getting transplanted out to Disney out your way. 
Um, so uh, all that and the funding and everything ended up being way too much money. So I ended up going to a local community college for graphic design. And uh, halfway through my second year out of three years, I got offered a job. And by the time I started the graphic design there, there was uh, like 100,000 jobs available in the greater Toronto area and only 50,000 qualified people. By the time I was done my second year of graphic design, there were a surplus. There was a surplus of like 200,000 graphic designers unemployed and no jobs. So I took the opportunity as a job as it fell on my lap and pretty much the rest is history. Wow. Cool. So you kind of like went with you know your gut feeling there. And obviously, you know, from an earlier age, you had that entrepreneurial kind of kind of bug going. So the reason why we have you on here is because of your unique experiences and those who you know who have just been crushing on Etsy. So let's just hop right into there before we, you know, go into your personal experience with Etsy. Can you explain to everybody who, you know, we have a lot of Amazon sellers who are listeners and, and they might not be familiar with the difference of Etsy and Pinterest and, and just in general, what is the, the Etsy platform about? So Etsy is uh, very much a, a marketplace. So you can have like your own individual shop. Whereas like, uh, I, I guess it would be similar to some stuff on, on Amazon if you're doing your own thing, but, uh, I'm not really entirely sure about how the whole FBA thing goes, but, uh, I feel like it, like on, on, Mer on Etsy, sorry, it would be more along the lines of eBay where you can have your own kind of, uh, storefront or whatever, what have you. Um, and it's geared towards handmade vintage. And now they've expanded the handmade aspect to include, uh, print on demand capabilities. So you can literally create your own designs or buy designs as long as they're from a member of your shop, like have somebody in your shop produce them. And uh, they're allowing production partners now, which is awesome. So I can use a local printer and have them print on stuff. Okay. So what's like the requirement though? Like you can't, I mean, I know some people try and scoot around the rules, but, but technically it's supposed to be kind of like handmade or, you know, homemade or something like that, as opposed to mass produce, right? Correct. So the, well, uh, mass produced now with production partners. I mean, it, yeah, it, the, the, I, the only caveat really is that something has to be uniquely created by you or a member of your shop. So as the shop owner, you would definitely not want to be just buying designs and having somebody else print them, uh, work with an artist, have somebody, you know, um, listed in your shop. You can, you know, partner up with somebody, things like that. Uh, it's pretty easy to, uh, comply with what Etsy deems as handmade now. Since they had their IPO, I think uh, just over a year and a half ago, they've you know loosened up their rules significantly. It's more about the bottom line for them now too. So okay, so now we know what Etsy is, what it's all about. Now, now let's bridge the gap of when you dropped out of college so you can pursue that you know graphic design job. What was the pathway that led you yourself to Etsy? Sure. So. Uh, that was a, a job I got in through two friends that had been working with a company and they said, Hey, we're looking for a third. So it was three of us kind of sharing an office there. Uh, I just plateaued. I was fi there five years. So put me at, uh, 18 to about, no, let's say 20, 20 to about 25 kind of plateaued there. I saw no room for uh, growth and I just applied to, uh, yellow pages here, which is at the time the, was the biggest publisher in the country. Uh, fast track there to management in under 18 months. And then layoffs were coming down the line. And me as a going from unionized graphic designer to management, I was lowest on the totem pole with no union backing me anymore. So first on the chopping block. So 
that put me in a situation where a IT department job at TD Bank popped up. Ended up there for five years. It was 12-hour shifts, a week of days, a week of nights. Totally not conducive to anything healthy, remotely healthy in your life. Um, and five years later, I was a bitter person, aged beyond my years, not pleasant to be around anymore, sort of thing. Uh, but the flexibility of the 12-hour shifts, so you're working like 11, 12 shifts basically a month, uh, that allowed me to build up my freelance stuff and keep working on graphics on the side. And then it got to a point where I told my wife, like we had a discussion. I said, like, look, I need to do something here. Like this is not healthy for me. Um, and I, with her blessing, pulled the switch and just decided to jump into Etsy. And the Etsy switch there was part of the freelance gig was, uh, I found some, um, job opportunities on Kijiji, which is like a Craigslist that you guys have. We have that up here too, but Kijiji is very much a Canadian version of that. It's like an online, you know, use sale, read, buy, buy, buy and sell shop, uh, website. But uh, I put up some ads there for freelance graphic design and this guy uh, gave me a call, said he needed me to do some designs for him. So I started building that on a regular basis. And then he turns out he was buying my designs off me for $10 a pop and you know, listing them on t-shirts and selling them on Etsy that he was printing himself. Uh, fast forward just about a year from there, I was thinking like, well, heck, I mean, this guy's paying me $10 once when I could maybe, you know, make five to who knows what I was thinking three to $5 a pop. And if I could sell it design more than three times, then I'm definitely making more money than selling them once. So I decided to kind of moonlight and dip my toes in my own shop after learning what I needed to him. Uh, and then after that, I just ended up putting, going full throttle with my own stuff. So then how, how does that work for t-shirts? It, it's not, I mean, are you using a print on demand kind of service or you, you know, you make your design and then how do you get it from your design to Etsy? Sure. So at the time I was uh, designing my own, uh, working with the guy who had hired me originally. He, I would pay him now to print and ship my shirts for me. So he was using vinyl uh, with a plotter where you can um, pretty much print. The graphics have to be somewhat simple because the plotter has to cut it all out. If it's too intricate, it'll kind of gum it up or bunch it up. Kind of like if you're cutting um, a piece of carpet with a really dull carpet cutting knife, it'll bunch up in the corner sort of thing. So it has to be pretty simple. So that was limiting. But, you know, people at the time were buying very simple designs. It was kind of new still. Um, so we started that way. And then I, uh, reached out to some screen printers. Cause then I was thinking, okay, well, if this guy's charging me, you know, 12 or $13 plus shipping $12 to make the shirt plus another $5 to ship the shirt, I'm up to $18 out of pocket. And then I have to sell the shirt for at least $20 and then put a $5 shipping fee on that. So I can make some money back there. So six, seven bucks. Um, then I was thinking, well, if we're going to go full scale here. Why don't I look into screen printing? Like This is all still new to me. So I, I reach out to a few screen printers and none of them, of course, wanted to work with me because of the time set up. Uh, I basically, I, the only option I had was to order a hundred of one print at a time. So I tried that and that worked for a few top sellers. Cause now you're getting, if you order a, a hundred black t-shirts with a white screen print on them, you can get them for about four to $5 Canadian. So about $3 a pop us uh, all said and done. Right. So then you're up, it's on you to package and ship for the extra four to $5 or whatever it is. Um, so that instantly doubled my profits on those shirts. Cause I was doing 15 on the other, like I was selling the shirts for, uh, 
a seven dollar profit, and now I'm selling these shirts for fifteen dollars. I could sell them for less and walk away with like you know like twelve, thirteen bucks a pop. And that was what the guy has been doing with you for a while, just buying all those designs from you and and making a killing, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. So I wanted to be able to do that, but then trying to screen print my own load. You know, you got buttloads and boxes. I'm looking around my office now. I had like, you know, stock everywhere and stuff. And it became a bit of a nightmare to manage, especially like Q4, like this time of year when Christmas rush starts going. Uh, and then people asking for one-offs still. So I had to use him to print there. And it was a logistic nightmare because I was a solopreneur kind of thing. So uh, I actually had a print-on-demand company reach out to me through a mutual friend, which was pretty cool. And they said, hey, like, we see what you're doing. Your shop's, you know, getting a lot of sales. We're kind of following you. Um, and we have been for about a year and your sales are, are continually growing. So we'd like to allow you to keep doing the part you love, which is the design work. Cause they could tell I, like my designs were, I guess, above average for what was out there at the time. And, um, I said, well, you know, explain to me what you're talking about. Like, what do you mean by fulfillment? So they plug into the back end of the Etsy shop through their API, which is all legal and everything else. And they would print package and ship my shirts to my customers. And all I would have to do is work on design. So again, now I'm going back down to like a $7 profit margin as opposed to a $15 profit per shirt. But I don't have to do any of the work and I could just focus on design and put up a ton more listings. Um, And then that kind of opened up my eyes in a sense that Ultimately, if I have a laptop and internet connection, now I'm not even bound to my house anymore, never mind my office or anything else. So, uh, yeah, like for argument's sake, uh, been able to travel with my wife now. Uh, we spent a year ago this time, we were in Costa Rica for our first big trip, and we were there for 30 days. And I was able to plug in and work online, manage a bit of orders, and do some design work every day for two, three hours a day while away. And if it means that, I have to work two, three hours a day just to be away for 30 days. And I'll do that all day long. Right. So like working two, three hours a day on the designs, not having to worry mm-hmm. about the logistics. What's, right. what's the most you've been able to make in a month with that kind of work schedule? Uh, this kind of work schedule. So Etsy alone. Um, well, this time of year, you're probably, I'm probably doing like 50, 60 orders a day. Uh, so profit at $7 a pop, let's say 350 to $400 a day times 30 days for that hardcore rush. I mean, hold on. Let me, let me pull out my calculator here. My, my computer like mine is it. So we're talking about like $350 a day. Let's say comparatively 50 times seven. Yeah. 350 times the 30. So about so yeah, 10, 10 grand. Total. And you're only having to put in three to four hours a day of work. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about inventory or, or logistics or all that stuff. You, you just have to worry about the, the design part. Correct. Um, that said, when I'm at home, I'm, you know, I'm working eight, nine hours. I treat it like a real business, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm working eight, nine hours and every single day, like seven days a week sort of thing. That's just, that's you know, the people that are successful when you're doing your own thing, you have to do it, right? It's that whole, uh, the MO is that you'd rather work a hundred hours a week for yourself than 40 for somebody else. Right. So yeah. now, now, now obviously you have other people taking care of the, you know, the, the logistics and things. So, you know, some of our listeners might be like, well, that's great for Jay, but I cannot even draw a stick figure, but let's say these people have friends who are like Jay and, and have graphical abilities. So then on the flip side, like how much do you think 
your, your partners are making, like somebody who isn't a graphic artist should not just say, Oh, Etsy's not for me. There's other ways to, to, to get in there. Right. Sure. I mean, you can use a Kijiji or Craigslist to source some freelance graphic designers who are budding that might be super talented, but also having a hard time finding a full-time job, that sort of thing. Um, and you can partner with them in the shop. I mean, you can split the royalties or the, or the, you know, the, uh, the profits 50, 50 with them, and then they'll be dedicated to you because they'll see it, you know, and if you list them in your shop, then it's totally legal. They're your designer. You're the, you know, logistics manager, shop manager, curator, if you want to call it. Um, yeah, I mean, possibilities are endless. So you don't need to be a graphic designer. You can, you know, partner with somebody. You can, who instead of buying the designs, they're basically you're giving them a royalty cut. So you're not even out of pocket in terms of buying upfront. That makes sense. Okay. So, so we just talked about kind of like one aspect of Etsy, which I didn't even know existed about the whole shirts and things. But a lot of other people who think about Etsy, they're thinking about like you know homemade wooden whatever's, you know, like wooden egg trays or something like that. So what, what are some stories that, you know, obviously you, you got your niche and, and you're, you're good at what you do, but you probably in the, in the Etsy space have networked with a lot of other sellers on there. What are some cool stories that you could tell us about other kinds, you know, non-t-shirt kind of businesses that people have been able to scale on Etsy? I actually, yeah. So uh, in, in our travels, like we ran into some people who had heard of Etsy, but hadn't really tried it out. And then, you know, you go back and, you know, like they have, they have these like rags to riches kind of success stories because they're in a situation where, you know, there just isn't jobs in their community or in their city or town or whatever state or even country. Uh, and they've been able to do some things like all it takes is somebody putting a picture up of their crafts while they're, you know, street side vending. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, it gets a, whatever, tens of thousands of likes on Instagram or Pinterest or something like that. Right. So, um, having them be able to go onto something like Etsy, all, all you're relying on at that point is, um, a means to ship. So if you're connected to anywhere, continental U S that has quick shipping, Mexico's great for it. Thailand's great for it. Um, you can really sell your wares, um, and, and kind of make money that, wouldn't otherwise be available to you. Well, what are some examples of the kind of, of products that, that you personally know of that, that people have just, you know, that maybe somebody would be like, what, somebody's making money off of that. Like what are, what are some weird things? You know, shirts are kind of mainstream. That's totally understandable. But like, what are something that might surprise somebody when they hear that somebody's actually making tons of money off of something? Sure. Yeah. So there's some, I mean, I guess the idea is that if you like something or think it's cool, then there's at least, you know, 10,000 people out there that will. I mean, everything goes. You can have mature type stuff mm -hmm. on there. I've seen some, uh, there, there's niches for, there's a super passionate crowd that follows uh, realistic doll clothing. Stuff that to me would be completely, I, I mean, I don't know stuff that I've never seen, I guess before, but I've been on there for long enough that I don't really get faced by a whole lot anymore, to be honest. Yeah. So what, what, what is like one of the, the most that you've, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're clearing six figures with what you're doing, but that's only working, you know, three, four hours. What about, what are some stories of somebody who's, who's working even more dedicating going all in? Like are, are there seven figure Etsy sellers out there that you know of? 
Uh, for sure. Yeah. So I knew of one, she eventually outgrew, uh, Etsy. Uh, and cause at that point you're the amount of fees that you're kind of paying Etsy for the platform and traffic, uh, you can put that into marketing on your own Shopify sort of thing. But, um, yeah, she was doing basically clothing as well. And then some, uh, silver charm bracelets. I have a friend right now who's doing about four, four times what I'm doing. He's doing about 150 this time of year orders a day. And he's printing himself. So he's in his basement. He bought the printer. And so he's making double what I make per order. And he's doing five times my volume. But that's that's him being full-time with like two helpers in, in his house. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, making 25 easily, $30,000 a month. It's kind of ridiculous. Wow. Um, but that's the give and take of whether you want to put all that effort in and go for full throttle from home or have the freedom like I do and luxury to kind of go where I want. Like for me, the, um, I guess winning or, you know, that end of the rainbow for me is to be able to travel and do what I want to do where I want to do it as yeah. opposed to being locked into my kind of business. Right. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So for me, the freedom, the goal was to be able to have the freedom to live like exper- life experiences. But if your goal is to pay off your house, I mean, you can do it if you really want to get down and dirty and get in there. Cool. Cool. So what are the requirements for somebody? Like, for example, can foreigners sell on, you know, like foreigners can sell on Amazon. Like, you know, I could be sitting in Japan. I can open up an Amazon USA account and sell an Amazon USA. Now, can I do that? You know, if, if, if I'm sitting in Australia right now or you Obviously in Canada can do it here in the U S but is that just like a Canadian thing or basically anybody in the world can sell on Etsy in the U S uh, anybody in the world can sell on Etsy in the U S that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, I believe it, I thought it started in Australia actually, but then they had their IPO in the United States and they built a, I think it's a New York headquarters. So, um, it just makes sense because you guys buy the most t-shirts you guys for us, for example, in Canada, we have 35 million people. You guys have 10 times that 350 million or so. And, uh, it's the same ratios for people that have internet and that sort of thing and can buy online. But you guys look quite literally, if you're selling online, you want to be able to sell to the U S market. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the number one. So, uh, for these people in different countries, like foreign countries, uh, you know, across the pond sort of thing, uh, in Asia and in countries where uh, money is not as readily available uh, in terms of your, you know, what's available for job opportunities or work. And at the same time, the cost of living is like, you know, 10% of what it is here. You can survive on 15, 20 US dollars a day um, for them to be able to make $10 a pop, a shirt and sell 20 or 30 a day. It's, I mean, that's, that's a gold mine, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, being Canada based, all I want to do is be able to go somewhere and travel and, and spend and make more than what I'm spending in a day. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no better feeling than waking up about 15 orders and then knowing you're going to get another 15 or 20 coming throughout the day. And within 10%, like, you know, a quarter of those orders has covered your cost of living for the day already. Now, how, how do you research, you know, to be able to get stuff that is, you know, selling those kind of numbers? Like, you know, you you can't just like guess sometimes like, Oh, okay. Yeah. People will be interested in this, but like, how do you set yourself up for the best chance at success? Like what kind are, are there research tools available? You know, like obviously helium 10 is for Amazon sellers, but, but do Etsy sellers use something to see where there's demand at, or you guys just do, like you said, like, Hey, if I'm interested in something, 
there might be somebody else interested in, or is there more science to it than just that? I mean, that's the nuts and bolts of it. I don't know if you can even call that a science, but the, I, so yeah, there's tools, there's, um, there's Marmalade and Etsy rank now known as E rank. Um, that's, I'm partial to that particular tool. Uh, it allows you to track your competition and kind of, it's very much like a helium, but for Etsy, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way I can describe it. Um, but the, I think what's paramount. So like on, on, on an Amazon, for example, you're, you're looking, you're facing a customer who wants the best value, the lowest price and the fastest shipping where Etsy is very much more like it's become, it's coming more around like an Amazon slowly, but surely, but it's always has been and continues to be, uh, more of a boutique. So you can charge like on Amazon, uh, you know, you're looking for a 10 or $15 t-shirt, but on Etsy, people are, are there to buy. They're not there to shop. They're there to purchase an item, not just tire kick. And they're willing to spend 30, 40, 50 us dollars, like on a shirt or a sweater. So, um, knowing your niche, like knowing who your target customer is, allows you to kind of like resonate and become part of their culture so that you can just come up with ideas that you know they'll want. And a secondary aspect of that is listening to your customers. So on Amazon, I don't know how it goes with uh, like Amazon proper, but on Merch by Amazon, for example, there's no customer interaction, which to me is like a major part of the game. So on Etsy, if I'm targeting a specific customer with my store, uh, my products, and then somebody asks me, Hey, uh, I really love your stuff. Can you do something like this or this with this play on words or this sort of thing? Then those are the customer, like that kind of information is invaluable, man. Being able to interact with your customers and provide what they want. They're telling you what the holes are in the marketplace. So if you listen, I mean, they'll build it for you. And that said, they're the ones who will be your, your kind of brand ambassadors. And they'll, they'll be you know, posting the stuff on Instagram, wearing a shirt, tagging your shop, that sort of thing. Right. So this is all low, low, low hanging fruit and free advertising. Really. How do you get more eyes on your listings? Like, you know, are you worried about, Hey, this is a, something that people are going to search for this kind of shirt. So I want to make sure that I'm showing up on the first results or, or are are you buying outside traffic or are you targeting Facebook people, are you just posting different things in Facebook groups or giving out free samples to influencers? What's some of the strategy to kind of drive traffic to let people know that your, your product or your listing even exists? So all of those things are great strategies. I just happen to, you know, I'm calling an anomaly that way, but I, I don't, uh, and I probably sell two or three times what I'm doing if I built more of an online presence, but it comes down to my own time and my reluctance to outsource any part of the process. So there's nothing wrong with, uh, in terms of Etsy's guidelines with outsourcing the stuff on your end, right? Like paying somebody to do some social media marketing and that sort of thing. But I'm just terrible at it to be honest. Like I'm a graphic designer at heart and I've kind of learned what I learned from business on the fly. So I'm probably not the best person to ask about that, but yeah, you can absolutely find somebody like I wouldn't go to these uh influencers who have like millions and millions of followers because they tend to post stuff that is uh you know what they'll just humor the highest bidder basically at that point right so you you could pay like hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars to have them post a shirt and will you make some sales probably but if it resonates with your own kind of niche market then those are the ones you want to target the ones that are very passionate look at the other boards they're posting in Pinterest or Instagram or whatever it is Look at what they're doing. Does, 
Do they represent your ideal customer? And if you can nail down your ideal customer and they represent that, then sure, they'll probably be more than happy to support something if you just send them a free t-shirt as opposed to paying somebody who's got millions of followers a few thousand dollars the same kind of result. Cool. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, we do something on the show. We call it, that's what my mom, how she used to call me when I was growing up. So it stands for TST 30 second tip. So we want to get Jade's about Etsy. So you've been giving us nonstop tips and, and strategies, but what is something that you could give in 30 seconds or less for like somebody who has just recently started on Etsy or is about to start on Etsy, something that can really help them, but it has to be 30 seconds or less. Okay. Don't get stage fright with the overwhelm. Uh, limit the shiny object syndrome. Cause I'm one of those kind of minds too, where there's endless amounts of opportunity on e-commerce, but then you look at Etsy and then all of a sudden, Oh, he's doing this. He's doing that. Focus on one thing for me is t-shirts, uh, put on the earplugs, the blinders and go all in. Don't worry about creating the perfect listing. Create as many listings as you can right now. It's Q4. You have the best chance time of year to, to get ranked, to get sales. Um, and then go in and tweak later, but just put on the blinders and do it. Pull the trigger. Don't I'm in awe about it. All right, cool. Thanks a lot, Jay. Now, if people want to find out more information about, you know, maybe getting some help to start on Etsy or to, to check out more stories, how can they find you on the internet or how can they reach you? Uh, yeah, so we actually have a group that is, uh, it's a membership group, but we talk everything from Merch by Amazon to Amazon proper to Etsy to KDP, which is uh, Kindle Direct Publishing and Shopify. There's myself and Dion and uh, Matt and RJ. And the group is... Uh, Ready aim scale dot my kajabi m y k a j a b i dot com and we're in there every day doing at least a twenty minutes to half an hour live training on particular topics. The topics change Monday to Friday, and uh, we're there sporadically the four of us throughout the day. And I think we're at like you know four four hundred members or so. So love to have you. It's a very tight group. There's no BS, no fluff, um, and we don't tolerate any of the you know slander or any, any crap like that. So I'd cool. uh, love to have you if you want to come check it out again. It's readyaimscale.mikejabby.com. Awesome. And that's it. All right. Well, Jay, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll have to maybe get you to do a special design for the Serious Sellers podcast. Like I need a new shirt. So maybe you can think of some cool design and we'll, we'll, we'll make it an Etsy shirt and then send everybody there. Absolutely, man. I'd, I'd love that. That'd be fun. All right, cool. We'll talk to you later. Quick note, guys, don't forget that regardless where you are listening to this podcast, whether it's on your iPhone or on Stitcher or on Spotify, that you hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified every time we drop a new episode.